Good morning, 99 Church. Thank you so much for having us here today. It really is an honor to be here. Um, you know, I met Mickey and Krista Cho really just a few weeks ago for the first time. I heard about him, obviously, uh, because of his rapping uh, many, many years ago. But um, our relationship really began just a few weeks ago. And what I love about it is it began through serving together. And that's what I really respect about your pastor um, is that he signed up first to serve, and that's how we began our friendship. And it kind of reminds me of what uh, Rick Warren used to teach a long time ago about the different levels of relationships as Christians. We have, um, you know, obviously there's the first level, and he uses the four S's. You know, there's the first level of uh, a surface relationship of sharing. You know, we talk about the weather, you talk about sports, and it's kind of just an acquaintance down the road that you know. Uh, but if you want to take a relationship further, you study together. Hey, let's get around the Bible. Let's study. But even that is pretty surface unless you serve together. And that's really where relationships are bonded, where there's a, a common camaraderie, uh, and it's through service. And so that's what I really appreciate about Mickey is he just dove right into signing up online and serving with us. And I, I truly respect that because most pastors, I'll tell you, most pastors, they just want to <laughs> grab coffee or lunch. Not that I'm opposed to that, but, um, man, he just dove right into service, and his wife joined as well. So um, you guys are really blessed to have a pastor that serves, um, and uh, thank you for having us. Just give you a little bit um, of a background of, of who I am, not that it's super important, but just to put a little context of why I'm sharing. Uh, I was born and raised in San Francisco right here. You know, I'm not a fickle bandwagon Warriors fan. Uh, born right here, um, yeah, I think on Parnassus, yeah, UCSF. And in fact, um, I'm married 17 years. We have four children. All four of my kids are born in San Francisco. We love this city uh, with a passion. My dad, uh, his name is Roger Huang. He came over from Taiwan in the late 70s uh, as a, a Taiwanese immigrant, dropped off right here in San Francisco in the middle of a hippie movement. So here's my dad doesn't understand a word of English. English, I can't even speak it. But uh, he was dropped off right in the middle of San Francisco during a hippie movement. Um, and, uh, man, what I love about my dad, super strong work ethic. And uh, he just survived. Um, and uh, he, he was working downtown as an auditor, worked his way up the corporate ladder. But, man, as lost as can be. Late 20s, he doesn't know Jesus. Uh, he's working uh, during the day, he's partying at night, and he has absolutely no hope. He was abused for 18 years of his life, and so he was a really broken man in his late 20s. And um, But my dad, actually, one, day, one night after partying, went home and turned on the television, and there was a televangelist on TV preaching about the good news of Jesus Christ. And my dad was actually, he was a little bit drunk, and uh, after a night of partying, half inebriated, and listening subconsciously to this preacher talking about Jesus and and something changed on the inside of him he said you know this is the hope I've been looking for my whole life that's how my dad came to Christ through a televangelist and it really transformed our whole family he got saved my mom got saved and we planted ourselves in the little church right here in Daly City and that's how I grew up I was born uh, just like on the front row of a pew as a pastor's kid and um, and that's that's, that's how I was raised in the faith. And, and then my parents eventually, a few years into Christianity, started a ministry in the Tenderloin called City Impact. 
So uh, that's, that's our context. You know, I'm born and raised in the city. My parents started a ministry in the Tenderloin. And so I, I've helped out City Impact for a, collect, uh, um, for a total of 16 years total, uh, and the last four of them being as the executive director. And then we transitioned from there into the two ministries that we run today, um, which I wanted to just share a little bit about our ministry, and then we'll dive into the scripture. But uh, we, we lead two ministries. One of them is called Mobilize Love. Mobilized Love uh, exists to show up and give kids hope, and that's our focus is children. Uh, we do this by providing mobile human services. Um, and so we have a fleet of outreach trucks. Um, it's a laundry truck, stage truck, a wellness truck, and then the Bay Area's first nonprofit food truck. And, uh, and we just show up to neighborhoods to give kids hope. And we figured, you know, my wife and I, when we launched it, we thought to ourselves, you know, if children, because we're kind of the most unchurched city in America, and if children, youth, and families aren't going to church, how could we bring the good news directly to them? And so that's why we built everything on wheels. It's to bring people and to give people access to not only human services, but the good news of Jesus. Uh, I like to say we're Amazon priming the gospel right to the door. Uh, and so Mobilized Love is a couple years o- old, and uh, in addition to that, we also lead City Team San Francisco, which is a huge organization. 62 years old, has been serving the Bay Area for a very long time, very reputable, very well established, and we lead the San Francisco City team. It's right on 6th Street in Mission, right in, right in the heart of Soma District, and uh, the, the, the mission of City Team is really to care for people's immediate needs and then enable lasting solutions, and primarily uh, through homeless and community outreach, and then also our transitional housing program for youth that we run there on 6th Street. So I share those, those two ministries with you just to give a little context of, of who I am. But that's not the primary reason why I'm here. In fact, uh, Mickey asked me to come and encourage you in your faith. We're not here trying to push ministries. We're here to encourage your faith. I understand that you're in a summer series during this time uh, called Rest. And uh, there's different applications that we can take from that, uh, Rest Uh, providing rest to the weary. And along those lines, I wanted to talk to you about something just pretty simple, but nonetheless very important, finding rest and true fulfillment. And so in order to do that, um, I wanted to turn to the book of John chapter 4. When Mickey asked to to talk about rest, uh, this is the scripture that popped into my mind. And I just want to read this scripture because, hey, you're not going to really remember a lot of things that I say today, but the word of God will produce fruit every time it's read. So let me just read John 4. We're going to uh, read just a few portions of this scripture, verses 1 through 35. It says, uh, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria, near the plot ground of Jacob, the one that uh, he had given to his son Joseph. Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God 
who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father's Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also uh, and did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will come will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back here. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, yes, you're right. In saying you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is not your husband. What you should have, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman replied, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you're a Jew, and the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one that you are speaking of. I am he. Then, just as his disciples returned, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what were you doing, or why were you talking with her? She went on. And she left her water jar, ran into town, and was declaring, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Teacher, eat something. But he said this, I have food you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him food? And Jesus said this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Now, I know that's super long, and I, know, I normally don't read that many scriptures, especially visiting a church, but there's just no way to splice that whole narrative um, without just reading all of it. True fulfillment, finding rest in true fulfillment. Um, verse 6, you know, Jesus was tired from the journey. He was traveling a long way, and he sat down. Jesus was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty, so he stopped for a break. And I feel like that's us in this moment. Many of us are tired of this long journey. I mean, think about this. It's only been four months since shelter in place. But like emotionally for me, I feel like it's been over a year. We are there, aren't we there? Some of us, we are fatigued emotionally, physically, uh, 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 financially, relationally, occupationally, there's just something about this season we're in where we're like Jesus, where we are just tired from the journey. I have four kids at home. Folks, I am tired. I haven't slept in over a decade. Um, I'm just, I'm just kidding, but not really, but um, needing to just sit down. So here's Jesus on a super long journey, very tired. He sits down. All he wants to do in this moment is just like a simple meal, 
and then a nice, refreshing cup of cold water. So his disciples, they go off into town to get some food, and here's Jesus just trying to rest. It's actually pretty admirable and respectable that the disciples went to go take care of their teachers, so they went off to get the food. But then something transformative happens in this story. The story takes a complete turn. Jesus, being very tired and thirsty and hungry, gets his eyes off of himself, and then hones in on this woman and her needs. That's in verse 7. Then they begin this dialogue, and Jesus is after her heart. He has compassion on this woman and realizes that she's a broken woman who needs redemption and salvation. He discovers that she's been married five times, and she's with a sixth guy who she's not married to. In other words, this woman is seeking true love and fulfillment and hasn't found it yet. So Jesus flips the script. Initially, Jesus asked for a cup of water because he was physically thirsty, only to reveal through a conversation that this woman actually was more thirsty emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Isn't that interesting? This is why when the disciples come back, they're kind of bewildered. They're, they're, they couldn't believe that their teacher, their rabbi, was talking to a thirsty chick. Not implying anything, but that's what they were so shocked at. It was, it was that shocking. But Jesus, knowing that she was thirsty emotionally, leads her heart to God. See, that's a true man right there. All you single women out there, you want to know who you want to marry, who you want to date? Listen. It is, will this man, when you are thirsty, will he point you to God? That's who Jesus did. He, Jesus is the true God and true man. He identifies her need and points her to the right direction, which is the Father. Find someone that looks like Jesus. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, deeply loved this woman and wanted the best for her life. So what does he do? He reveals himself to her. He reveals his nature to her. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. Not very many people got this opportunity, but this woman got it. What an incredible Lord and Savior Jesus is. He gives her what she's ultimately seeking, redemption from a Savior. But here's the thing. The disciples, when they they arrived with the food in hand, they said, "Uh, teacher, eat something. But notice Jesus's response. He says, look, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This blows my mind because Jesus was hungry and thirsty, and all of a sudden he doesn't want to eat anymore. So imagine like, like Mickey calls me. He's like, man, I really want some boba. And so I go, and I go to boba, guys. And I stand in this super long line. I make the trek over to Fillmore. I stand in the line. I buy the boba. I come back to Mickey. I'm like, Mickey, here's your boba. And he goes, no, 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 thanks. I have boba you don't know anything about. It's like, whoa, what are, what are you talking about? Who got Mickey Boba? That's exactly what happened. They went all the way to town, got Jesus some food, and Jesus goes, no, nah, I got food you don't even know about. So they asked themselves, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus' reply is the answer to our true fulfillment. He goes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Man. Jesus reveals here that there is something in this world that brings more fulfillment and satisfaction in our life than the temporary fill of the things of this world. So what is it? You know, I, I, I mentioned that I, I've been married 17 years. Uh, what I didn't mention is I married a white girl. Now, 
Um, not that that matters. I mean, you know, it was true love, but it did matter in one respect because one of our biggest fights we ever had early on in marriage was over dinner. I came home. See, I'm a, I'm a relatively good sized, uh, Asian boy. Um, I think I'm perfectly sized. My wife would like me to be slightly thinner. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, God created me perfectly. Um, Good sized Asian boy. I grew up on rice, meat, and veggies. I mean, that's just what we ate every night. We didn't snack around the house like um, like a lot of American households. We didn't have snacks. We waited for dinner, and then we ate a lot of dinner, and then we just like passed out. Right? That's that's how I grew up. So dinner meant a lot to me, and usually it's like rice, veggies, and meat. So uh, early on in marriage, probably like two to three months into marriage, I come home. I'm tired. I worked all day. I come home. My wife pulls out a casserole. I don't even know. I didn't at the time even know what a casserole was. And so I was like, I said something pretty rude. I was like, you know, I don't think our marriage is going to work out or something like that. Um, And we got in a huge fight over dinner. I mentioned this because there's just certain types of food that fill you and certain types of food that don't, you know. And and uh, my, I mean, over the course of the years, you know, my wife and I, we've come to an agreement where um, I mean, she's a great cook now, but it took a lot of training. Not that I trained her. I'm just saying um, basically I died to myself and I love casseroles now. <laughs> so anyways, uh, the comfort food for me is like roast pork over rice. When I eat that, I'm done. That's all I need. Now, similarly, spiritually, did you know that we have an inner man? It's our soul, an inner woman. That's your soul. And I'm here to tell you this, that soul needs a certain type of comfort food and there's nothing else that can fulfill it. You could try to feed it anything that you think in your mind, like, oh, I'm going to feed my soul this. It's going to be perfect. I'll feed it this. But your soul, there's only certain type of comfort food that it takes that truly fulfills it. And uh, there is a food that God has for us, for our soul, that gives us a supernatural sustenance. It's a feeling that's almost divine. You see, when uh, uh, Shelter in Place first started, didn't we all have a plan of attack for personal development? I mean, right? Like, think about it. You got your self-help books, your online tutorials. You logged into to, to all kinds of things that were going to grow you. And uh, Personal development was, like, number one priority. Home workouts, meditation, ordering books off Amazon, and all those other things that we had in mind so that we can really optimize this time to grow. But let me ask you this. You've eaten those things, but are you truly filled? Are you truly satisfied? Because true fulfillment and true sustenance, as revealed by Jesus in John 4, is doing God's will, period. When you do that, when you do God's will, that's when you're fulfilled. That's when you're sustained. And there's no hack for this. There's no master class for God's will. There's no shortcut to God's will. God's will is something you just have to obey and flesh out and do. So this begs the question, what is God's will? What did God send Jesus to do? What was the work that he had to finish? What was God's will for Jesus' life? As Christians, we must know what God's will is and and, and what Jesus' purpose was because Jesus prayed in John 17, God, as you've sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. We are to live as Christ lived in this world. So the big question is this. What did Jesus come to do? Why did he come to this earth? Well, It sounds simple, but it's very complex, but it was basically to usher in the kingdom of God. You know, if we were to ask this question to most kids, like, why did Jesus come? It's die on the cross, pay for our sins. That is absolutely true, but it was actually bigger than that. Dying on the cross and paying for our sins was a huge part of it, but it was to 
usher in and inaugurate the kingdom of God. The kingdom isn't a place. It isn't something in the distant future. The kingdom of God is God's rule now. His way of doing things according to his sovereignty and lordship. Wherever God's rule reigns, there is the kingdom. It started when Jesus showed up on the scene. So what does it look like? God's kingdom in a lot of ways is basically the complete opposite of this world's kingdom. If you really want to know more about God's kingdom, read Matthew 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's Jesus revealing in three chapters basically the manifesto of God's kingdom. So in a lot of ways, God's way of thinking and doing things is just the complete opposite of how our, our human nature wants to do things and how this world is set up to do things. And it's not that the kingdom is paradoxical or upside down. It's that this world is upside down. I don't know if you watch the news at all, but man, we are living in an upside down time. We call the truth lies and we call the lies truth. We say everything is relative, but then we cancel someone who has a different opinion. We treat ungodly things as holy and then blaspheme the things that God considers sacred. But if nothing is holy and sacred, then why do we get offended by anything? I mean, I just don't get it personally. But that's how the world operates. May I propose to you that there is another way. It is the way of Jesus. It's God's rule. It's God's kingdom. Perhaps God's way is the right side up. Perhaps the innate way that we've learned to live is actually upside down. Because in God's kingdom, it's by humbling yourself that you're exalted. It's by serving that one is great. That's true greatness, the servant. The last shall be first. It is by giving that one receives. It's by self-forgetting that one finds. So when Jesus came onto the scene and ushered in the kingdom of God, A huge part of ushering in this kingdom was executing biblical justice. Biblical justice is the word uh, mishpat. It's it's justice, mishpat. It's found in the Old Testament over 200 times. And it basically means this, caring for those who can't care for themselves, protecting those who can't protect themselves, and giving people what they deserve equitably. So true biblical justice includes both social justice and spiritual justice. It's two sides of the same coin. Simply put, Jesus came when he ushered in the kingdom of God. You look at his whole life. What did he do? What was his purpose? He cared for people's physical needs and emotional needs. And then he also cared about their spiritual needs, their soul. I mention these things because this is the day that we're living in. Everything right now is about social justice. And it's true. That is the heart of God. In fact, Luke 4, Jesus stood up when he started to inaugurate his ministry. He stood up with Luke 4, prophesying what Isaiah said about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to do what? Social justice, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. You see, the world, we love to idolize the famous, the talented, the rich, and those in the spotlight. But let me tell you, God loves the humble, the poor, and the powerless. If you want to find God, you run to the poor. You will meet him there. God has an affinity toward the powerful, the powerless and the poor. And it's our duty as Christians to live a life of executing biblical justice, which includes social justice and fighting for those who can't fight for themselves, defending them and providing for those who can't provide for themselves. This includes 
tackling systemic racism and injustice that excludes the very people that God has a heart for. But even more importantly than social justice, as Christians, we must seek and execute spiritual justice. You see, because I see a lot of Christians engaging now in social justice, which is very powerful. I believe it's the heart of God. But it's often easier to hide behind social justice and then ignore spiritual justice. Why? Because it's so much easier to protest and post than to go to your neighbor and talk to them about their soul and where they're going to spend eternity. It's so much easier to, to uh, join a protest and, 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 and shout from our social media platforms than it is to talk to our family member about the fact that they're not saved. And where are they going to spend eternity without Jesus? These are the things that we don't like to talk about, but it's just easier to ignore but be, because we're not going to get rejected following the crowd. We will get rejected, though, when we talk to our dad about his soul, about we talk to our sister or our brother about the fact that they're not saved yet. These are the things that are super uncomfortable, but this is why Jesus came. Social justice and spiritual justice. You know, there's a couple places in Scripture that point out the exact reason why Jesus came to earth. Uh, one of them is found in Luke 19.10. This is spiritual justice, to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came to earth. Another reason is found in 1 John 3.8. It's one of my favorite Scriptures about Jesus. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to destroy the devil's work. I love that because it proves that Jesus is a gangster. He came to destroy the devil's work. What is the devil's work? Well, that's found in John 10.10. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy people's lives. So, in other words, the reason why Jesus came was to seek and save the lost thus destroying the devil's work in one foul swoop. Every person that gets saved is also destroying and undermining the enemy's work. So true biblical justice must include spiritual justice. For if we really care for people, we have to preach the full gospel of repentance, of God's grace and forgiveness, and the fact that he's coming soon again. That's the full gospel. This, my friends, is our duty as believers. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. This is what Jesus did on earth. This, my friends, is what fired Jesus up when he was tired and exhausted from his journey. When he was hungry and thirsty, he engaged in ushering the kingdom of God by executing biblical justice. And that very act of engaging in that work rejuvenated him and brought him so much life he didn't even want to eat anymore. When I see weak and feeble and struggling Christians, I often wonder, are you only studying the Bible or are you doing it? Because when you do it, I guarantee you walk away rejuvenated in the spirit. I'm going to close just with this scripture because it's a great progression in Isaiah 58. I challenge you again to read it. Uh, I've given you large portions of scripture, you know, Matthew 5 through 7, John 4, Isaiah 58. But because I'm a firm believer, never just listen only to what the preacher says. Go read the book yourself. you got to believe it yourself. But Isaiah 58 shows this beautiful progression where basically the people of God are crying out to God and they're fasting and they're saying, God, they're basically through verses 1 through 5, they're seeking God's purpose and presence. That's me, by the way. Most of the time when I'm coming to God, I'm like, God, where are you and what do you want 
from my life? Where are you? What's your plan? I'm always seeking God's will and his presence. His will and, his, and many Christians are like that. I think you're like that. Don't you want to know that? And so in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, the people of God, they're seeking his purpose and his presence. But then all of a sudden, God flips the script and he goes, you know what? Do you want my presence? Do you want my purpose? He says, do this in verses six to seven. He goes, loose the chains, untie the cords, share your food, provide shelter and clothe the naked. Because God knows that when we lay our lives down for others, we will find him in the process. And then in verses eight through 14, read that chapter. So powerful. God says, then what you've been searching for all along, when you focus on others and serve others, what you've been searching for all along, my presence, my healing, my light, my righteousness, answers, strength, satisfaction, you will find it. Read it. He says, then you will find these things. When you take care of others, you will find these things. When you serve others, you will find what you've been looking for all along, especially joy, verse 14. You will find joy in the Lord. I can't tell you how many people I know who seemingly have everything in life, but they're not fulfilled. Why? Because they just have the eyes on themselves. Until they started focusing on others. That's one of my biggest, I feel like, mantras in life. Is I just want to connect people into ways they can practically serve others. Because I know how this life works. I'm 38. I am old. 38. And I just know that my wife's a little older. But um, she's born in the 70s. I'm born in the 80s. Two totally different decades. I'm super younger than her. Um, I know how this life works. When my kids wake up and they're super grumpy, I, I, I know you are only, you're never going to be satisfied so long as you keep focusing on yourself. You have to focus on others. The more self-occupied, the more lost you will become. The more we self-forget, the more we will find ourselves. That's why Proverbs eleven twenty four through 26 says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds and comes to poverty. But a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others himself will be refreshed. So I want to close with just one prayer and then call you to action. Um, It's the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. I'm a big believer in the power of names. Um, Our our city, St. San Francisco was named after this saint, Francis of Assisi. And he's the guy that prayed this prayer. Um, And so it kind of carries the spirit of our city, San Francisco. And he's prayed this prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. Where there is wrong, I may bring a spirit of forgiveness. Where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I'll bring truth. That where there's doubt, I'll bring faith. That where there's despair, I'll bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there's sadness, I'll bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. That's my prayer for this church. So church, when we find ourselves tired and fatigued because the long journey that we've been on, like Jesus, we just want to sit down and rest. Yes, I'm a big believer in Sabbath. I'm a big believer in practicing self-care. But even those will only take you so far. True fulfillment is when you focus on the needs of others. 
and you usher in the kingdom of God by doing what Jesus did on this earth. When we engage in God's will and his mission, executing biblical justice, which, remember, is not just social justice, but spiritual justice. Let me pray. Father, thank you for 99 Church. Thank you for Mickey and Krista and their leadership. I thank you, even now, Lord, that I've tried my best to share the good news and encourage people's faith. But, Holy Spirit, now I know you will do what only you can do, which is convict, which is uh, bring things to our mind right now of what we can do practically from this message, to engage uh, other people who need to hear the good news, to serve people who don't have access to things, to leverage our life for the benefit of other people. Lord, you call us to this type of life uh, because you actually love us and you want the best for us. So I pray right now that you will fire up this church, that we will not be self-focused as a church, but we will focus on the needs of others. We will serve the needs of others. And in that process of, of serving the poor and the powerless and those who can't defend themselves, we will find you there. And we will find all that we've been looking for, healing, satisfaction, joy, light, and ultimately true fulfillment. So when the world comes up to us and says, hey, I, I've got your food, we could say, no, nah, we, got, we got this fulfillment. You, I can't even explain to you because we've been doing your will. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.